Take two here. Take two. I forgot to turn the cameras on. All right. Uh, well, so we're back for some more Pink Floyd. We are. One thing, I, uh, you know, just like my own selfish uh, interest of starting the podcast um, were to do things exactly like this, to collect all of the albums uh, from bands that I, I really adore uh, mm-hmm. and uh, podcast about them. Right. It's a bit indulgent, but you know what? I think it's pretty cool. Do their whole catalog. We were just talking about the Beatles. That's all right. Um, so we have all of those lined up on vinyl. Mm-hmm. How big of a Zeppelin fan are you? Not, not uh, much? N- uh, not really. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to it, though, and comment on it. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't always, like, the biggest fan, and, I mean, I'm still, I was, you know, more of a Pink Floyd fan. But yeah. That's definitely a band I would like to go through their catalog, Tool. Mm-hmm. Um, is an interesting band. I was looking. They. Uh, I was at a record store over the weekend in Memphis, and they had like Tool's whole catalog on vinyl. Wow. It's it. It did. We said this last episode we recorded, but um, it is interesting how much like bands. It's just full circle. Like, it, it, well, I went been to concerts recently. Vinyl is a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I really mostly over CDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've even seen some some people doing this. They sell. Um, like uh, you wait around after the show and they give you a flash drive with the live performance mm-hmm. on it. That's genius. Yeah. I like the live performance. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like Widespread Panic, listen to every show I've ever been to. I can go back and listen to that. Right. On my multiple platforms and, and apps and um, high quality, low quality. It's, it's amazing that we can do that. I never would have um, thought that was a thing. Um, and I saw some live Pink Floyd albums too and I didn't get them. So I got those other ones I was telling you about. She's, yeah. B- which Cora really likes both of those. I, and then I got like Jar of Flies with Allison Chase. Mm-hmm. Well, Mad Season. We're, we're talking about the Swift mm-hmm. podcast. But Cora and I are kind of getting like a shared bands, like Between Us collection going at home. And, um, you know, she's uh, she's getting into vinyl too, I think. Or I'm forcing it on her. Either yeah. way. Either yeah. way. Yeah. Well, it's inevitable. She needs to know. Yeah. Well... Let's crank this up. I'm All gonna, right. I'm going to get this going. You want to talk about what we're uh, breaking down today? Okay. So uh, today we are listening to, um, let's point this right at our camera here. We are listening to Pink Floyd's 1968 album, A Saucer Full of Secrets, which is the only time in Pink Floyd history that they were a five-piece band. Yeah, interesting. Um so this is um what is the second what is the other album in which barrett was on titled that would be their uh debut piper at the gates, piper of, dawn. At the gates of dawn and the third one in which barrett collaborated a little is adam Hartmother or no that's no later. no i i believe this is actually more that's actually this album yeah okay okay I'm yeah barrett was only present in Pink Floyd and with the songwriting and all and performance and all that with these two records. That was it. After that. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's not like he just disappeared, but he, he was, was eating candy. Yeah. <laughs> and doing drugs. Yeah. Maybe not doing drugs. Dude, I mean, I will say this. Um, I've had like a really close friend of mine. Um, I mean, you could say lose their mind. They're, they're schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to Barrett. And. Mm-hmm. It is wild that, to see that, that change. Like, I knew this person for years. Yeah. And now when I see him, it's, like, not the same person. Wow. You know, and it happened when they were, like, 20, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a lot of um, bands recently. I'm trying to think of when I saw real recently. They played on the Shadows component of like that that early history of floyd how they were doing like shadows on the background and stuff i saw a band doing that live the other day it may have been billy strings Mm -hmm. he's like a bluegrass artist i'm seeing him in a couple weeks cool oklahoma city right that's you know you and i i don't know if we talked about this but it, it we may have alluded to it last uh recording 
the absence of Barrett is really the whole reason of the debate over which one is pink. Yeah. Right? Uh, yes. And then, too, so when I saw um, Roger Waters, uh, did we, th- this may have been us, too, because we just recorded, we just went, uh, did another Pink Floyd album, but he was doing Have a Cigar. Yeah, right. Live on live. this tour. Live, yeah. Uh, and he did not play that any of the times I saw him. Really? Yeah. And um, I've listened to some interviews. Like, I, I, there's, I've seen, like, on a documentary where he goes into, you know, like, oh, my voice is so tired and I just couldn't sing it. Mm-hmm. So he's got that guy to yeah. sing it. Yeah, right. And then David um, Gilmore is like, he couldn't sing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, just like not, no explanation really. Just like he wasn't able to do it, wasn't able to hit the parts or right. whatever. And and then the, I, on this same documentary, Roger Waters is singing it, and he's like, mm, "I need to warm my voice up," and mm. like like stops, like like he you know, like messes up a little bit or something. But he is singing it on this tour. Um, okay, which That's is very cool. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Roy Harper, I believe, who does the yes, vocals. Yes, on, yes, yes. On "Have a Cigar," I uh, would uh, even a peripheral uh, listen. Um, yeah, the live um, we talked about. Nick Mason, but um, the Pompeii Live. Yeah. A watch on that would be really cool. Yeah. And also David Gilmore Live at Pompeii Mm -hmm. in 2016, I believe it was. Uh, Another thing I forgot to note about this is that this is the mono version of the record that we are listening to, not the stereo. Um, To some people, uh, mono is preferred for these 60s records. Um, if you get in debates with Beatles fans, you'll see that pop up from time to time. Stereo yeah, yeah. versus mono mixes. All, all of the stereo, uh, all the Beatles albums I have, I believe, are in stereo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, for the most part. I think that was the most widely available, or it has been in our time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stereo. Uh, yeah, but the mono mixes are often thought of as uh, being the definitive versions of the records. Why do you think? Just because that's the original mode of recording. Yeah, you get people who argue that the stereo versions were just kind of like an afterthought kind of thing. Because at the time in the 60s, more people, you know, uh, had were, were listening to like music like over the radio or, uh, you know, just at home or whatever, not on on what we what back then they would call like hi-fi high fidelity setups mm-hmm. which stereo would be of course more better for that but more people were listening to music out of one speaker than you know out of two interesting yeah that that is uh well and i wonder um i wonder if that's technology or economics playing a role yeah or or maybe a little bit of both uh, because uh, you know, early in de- early in the development of uh, yeah, I haven't really gone into th- that history, you mm-hmm. know, on technology M- more so like with computers and um, uh, a little bit with like early history of television yeah. and uh, recording and cinematography, but never really uh, never really thought about that. So this is, uh, the first track we heard was Let There Be More Light, which actually does not have Sid Barrett on it. And this track is Remember a Day, which is a Richard Wright song. And the slide guitar parts that you hear in the background on this are are Sid. That's actually Sid Barrett. Interesting, okay. So he doesn't play on every song on here. He wasn't involved in, in everything on here. In fact, I think Remember a Day may have been a leftover song from Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Interesting. Some of the singles that we had listened to in a previous podcast were uh, recorded in between Piper and this album and were for consideration to be on this record. And uh, one of those songs is Scream Thy Last Scream. Uh, Vegetable Man was another one. Mm -hmm. And... uh, those were ultimately blocked by being on the record, and I think it's Roger who decided, who was like, no, we're not going to put those on. He's there. probably going to release them next year. He's been planning it this whole yeah. time. <laughs> They're going to be... But uh, on a, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I feel like if those two songs had been on this record, 
I might actually like this album better. So, so we got a seven song, uh, seven song album here. Yeah, well, remember one of the songs too on here is like twelve minutes as well. Mm-hmm. The title track, "A Saucer Full of Secrets." So that kind of uh, limits your selection. I mean, I guess you could say it's like three different songs mm-hmm. crammed together. Uh, have you watched any um, on video, any old school, not necessarily from this era, but, uh, you know, 70s uh, Pink Floyd performances? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I need to, uh, other than Pompeii, like, I haven't watched a ton of, like, whole live concerts or anything. That's why yeah. I was interested when I saw those um, vinyls of, like, live shows. I think one of them was in, like, 71. Mm-hmm. Um I was like, man, that'd be super cool to check that out. Like, I've yeah. never really thought about picking up any live shows on vinyl, but that's that's probably definitely gonna be something I do. Yeah, uh, um, that would have been right. Uh, Adam Hart, Mother, Metal period. Mm-hmm. Been... Which hey, I got Metal uh, coming on the way, which I really enjoyed that album. Yeah, that's it's a good record. A lot of people view it as the the turning point for the Floyd. Like this record is kind of seen as. And I don't know, maybe it's my opinion on it, but to me, this is the period where they kind of lose the plot for a bit. They, It's like they have to wander through the desert for 40 years or whatever before they finally find their way, right? And this is kind of the start of like the aimless Floyd, I guess is what I would call it. Yeah. A lot of people claim that they got it together on metal. That's where everything just meshes together and they finally find their way. But I actually like Adam Hart Mother quite a lot. Like, okay, like yeah. that's a, to me a good record. A lot of people don't like it, but but after this you get like uh um I think Amagama, mm-hmm. which the live side is amazing, the studio side is not so good. <laughs> In my opinion, I'm saying in my opinion. I don't know you. If, we should if you compare like it, those. That's okay, you know. We should compare those. We're comparing the Animals albums. Right, that's true. And one of them's live. Well, uh, the uh, Umaguma, which I think is how you pronounce it. It's either that or Umaguma. I don't know, uh, you know. But Umaguma, Umaguma, yeah. potato, potato. Right, know, exactly. That, that right. But it's it's a double album. Okay. Oh, interesting. One album is live. Is live. And the other album is studio recordings. Yeah, so we'll get like the box set on that. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. uh, there's a pretty good version of Saucer Full of Secrets on that. So Excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, just like uh, genre-wise at this time, mm-hmm. what would you classify Pink Floyd ass. Oh, they're definitely psychedelic. They're definitely like dark psychedelic. That's what I'd say. I'd say they're, I mean, they're, Richard Wright as a songwriter, some of it's kind of poppy, but I would say for the most part, like with Barrett and the way that he wrote, his stuff is kind of sing songy as well. Like, oh, they're almost so, like, yeah, the product like, of their times in a way, yeah. though, kind of like our really early Beatles stuff. Yeah. But like, it's like, slightly warped like I mean I would describe like Sid Barrett like Piper at the Gates of Dawn I would say is like warped almost like warped psychedelic nursery rhymes that's almost what what it sounds like like. and I dig I dig that but yeah I would say definitely at this period they are definitely psychedelic and they would would kind of continue with that trend I know and it's uh, it's interesting too because like I was thinking about that on the way over here. Mm-hmm. And I would classify them the same way, like a psychedelic mm-hmm. rock. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because they have um, jams, what I would just classify yeah, as jams. Yeah. But it's not, um, you know, you look at some other bands, like more from our time, uh, like I, the Chili Peppers are known for improvisational mm-hmm. stuff uh, yeah. in their live performances. And I don't know how much improvisational stuff Floyd was doing live. But um, they are definitely known for, like, long instrumental. Yeah. Like we were talking about that and looking at that with songs like Dogs last time. Um, but longer songs that are not going to make it on the radio. And they're longer because, really, the jams. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Is is there a lot more of that on like the live performances on like uh, like Umaguma, like what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, th- th- there is. I mean, like this period of time, yeah, that when when they would perform stuff live, a lot of stuff was extended out, like yeah, jam wise. I mean, was there a market for for that then too? You know, as much instrumental stuff as they were doing. Yeah, I just I just think that's definitely a product of the time. I think that that's what that is. Definitely this, that psychedelic, that whole this psychedelic has like almost an Indian feel to yeah, it as well. Yeah, is in not Native American, is in India, right? Because that's what. Right. Anyway, this is a good song. Set yeah. the controls for the heart of the sun. It um, is. I dig it. I, um, and uh, this, I think, is uh, one vibe. of the ones with the shadows I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, the, like yeah. the music video for this. Yeah, it's very, very vibey. But yeah, I would describe them as psychedelic. Uh, I wouldn't quite call it prog rock, though. Even though they do have extended songs, I I think they kind of develop or grow into that a bit later. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly with concepts, I think. Yeah, well, and that's what you were saying. It's like it's that later really is around metal, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Uh, which Pompeii is around that time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they definitely yeah, were hitting a uh, obscured by clouds. Mm-hmm. That's like the record right before Dark Side of the Moon. I think that's when Pompeii, Live at Pompeii, was recorded. They did, uh, or like a few of the songs on Live at Pompeii were from metal. Yeah. Also, is what I'm thinking. This is very vibey. It is. I I love the bass line, Mm -hmm. Roger, if you wrote it and played it. I I think it's amazing. This is 1968. You got Roger singing here, and he sounds almost identical to how he does, like, in 1978, you know, with with Animal 7778, you know. Isn't it, uh, yeah, interesting how some people really hold on to their voice for mm-hmm. a long time yeah so i guess i just imagine roger waters being like a like a five-year-old child and sounding exactly <laughs> yeah i bet you know too one thing that's interesting for me about vocalists like uh on that level is they can't like you know um I mean, we shouldn't yell at anyone, but let's mm-hmm. say you lost your temper and you yelled at somebody. Like, they're just totally screwed if they do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was uh, reading a story about Steven Tyler doing that, and, like, he ends up having that surgery. Because mm-hmm. I guess, like, his voice is probably, like, already severely overworked. Mm-hmm. And, like, you get into a shouting match with someone, and then you, like, damage your vocal cords. Um, or or a tear or something with him. I can't remember what it was, but... uh we did like a meet and greet with Chris Caraba from Dashboard at that Tulsa show. Yeah. And he was just talking super soft, mm-hmm. like almost faint. Mm-hmm. And he even played several songs and he definitely like there on like the last song, he, um, he projected his voice a little bit, but he was totally saving it for the show. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was, Oh, this, this, this is, this is a four on one side and three on the other. Is this the fourth song? On yes, it? yes, this is. This is uh, Corporal Clegg, Roger Waters singing about the war. That is a theme that they play on, um, definitely throughout their music. What is the uh, the documentary that goes with the album? What is the name of that? Is the same as the album? What they had, they had a documentary for. Is it Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall? A Pink Floyd documentary that, like, it was like a, a visual side to watch with the album. I could be making this up. Let me, yeah, let I was me like, I, I don't, I don't recall this. I mean, that could be making it up, bro. <laughs> I sometimes forget about you know things like when Saint Augustine was founded. <laughs> was it sixty-five or fifty-six? Okay, it sounds like there's some sonic differences. In this song versus stereo version, just different mixing. I actually really like this song. Like some people don't. What law there? Yeah, like. David. All right. <laughs> the nice, nice factoid here. That is that is David Gilmore on the kazoo. 
Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So, so this is not, uh, this is something else. They oh, did this in yeah, yoga, Dark Side yeah. of the Rainbow. Um, you, you synced this up with Wizard of Oz. Right. That's not what I'm thinking Classic about, urban legend. There's also the uh, the rumor you can sync uh, part of 2001 A Space Odyssey up with Echoes. Okay. Yeah. There's there's a rumor about that, but have I tried it? No. Yeah, I could just be um I'll have to I'll have to look into this further because I wanna say that I watched part of it. Yeah. Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon, that's not it. Well, I mean I wanna say that they had footage of them recording parts of maybe Dark Side. And I want to say that was maybe on the the Live in Pompeii DVD, maybe like as a as like a special feature. That that 2012 documentary, the story. I wish you hear that. I wish you were here. That's good. Oh yeah, man, I do dig that wall. Yeah, I like this song. You have a wall right now. No, I do not. I really don't use mine. Like, yeah, to me, hardly at all. Uh, to me, it's a little cheesy. Yeah, I know. I just can't incorporate it like other people do. Yeah. It's interesting, though. Like, a couple of guitar players I really like. Michael Hauser, the original guy from Panic, and uh, Tom Morello. They use it a lot. Yeah. Get with that kazoo. Yep. This is that that sort of Beatles influence, I think. This is like I am the walrus. That's what this makes me think. I of. know, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Which this was actually produced by Norman Smith, who was an engineer on the, a lot of the Beatles' early albums. I think all the way up to 1965's Rubber Soul, which is a great record. Yeah, I've got I've got that one over there. I have not listened to that one in its entirety. I think it's the wall that I'm thinking well, I mean, the of. The wall had its own movie. That, that's what I'm thinking of, dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant. But like the movie the is like with the album, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, dude. Yeah, I was like, it's uh, it's not okay. Yeah, Dark Side's yeah. The, yeah. It's it's the movie that goes with the wall. I couldn't remember. Yeah, by um, Bob Bob Geldof is in that movie. I haven't seen. I I, I watched it like over ten years ago. Yeah, and I was like kind of weirded out by it. Yeah, is that crazy it, scene yeah. where a dude like cuts himself. I don't remember that. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> we'll, we'll watch it and we'll figure that out. <laughs> okay, that's the end of side one. So uh, what are your initial impressions, Brian? Um, is is this a band that's... Right, uh, have Have they lost the plot? And their their first album is it is it weaker than their than their? Debut? I mean, I can see it as a continuation. I I like it. I like it as a part of the history of the band. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's working. Um, and it is an interesting story. Like if you look at their whole catalog, I believe um, you you it, through Roger leaving, and I think anytime you have a core member leave, it does take something away from the band. Um, because he was yeah, he was there from it. the beginning, right. but I do think until that point you see a constant evolution from them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I don't think that uh, and and maybe they felt that way, but the material they put out after Barrett, I don't see them as like uh, some lost and leaderless. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I see, see a story of um, evolution of continually evolving as a band and learning um i mean man that's like one thing i think about with like uh every time i see widespread painted play which just saw him play there's six guys yeah and they actually live all over the united states like one of them was in california yeah yeah. and um it is just amazing to me uh how six people can stay friends and together Mm -hmm. um, and stuff for and they've had a couple of people their original drummer died and the original guitar player really mm-hmm. leader of the band right. kind of died but they were able to keep going but right. you know six different people getting along for that long i mean even three people if you had a three-piece group like rush for example um man they they were together forever right. and it's it's just interesting that because you have to have that you have to have that um 
sort of chemistry. And I know that like that, that is one thing too, that's interesting is like the longer they were together, it seems to be that the infighting becomes a definitive part of the story, mm-hmm. you know? And as we get to some of those albums, like wish you were here, dark side of the moon, uh, even the wall, I think we should, um, you know, maybe watch those documentaries that kind of go with those, um, that go with those, not the movie that goes with the wall per se, but, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to, you know, kind of see what each guy is saying about those times, because that's kind of one thing that's interesting is every documentary I've seen, it's like, and I'm sure they're doing that on purpose. It's just like, you see kind of some conflicting yeah. views from the two, the two guys that mm-hmm. were the front men of the band. Right. Even though da- David sang more of the songs, and, <laughs> I mean, what are you without a guitar player? But I yeah. mean, that's like he really did have an amazing voice. I do like Roger's vocals. I like his bass lines. Uh, but man, David, his his guitar work is like among the gods, mm-hmm. you know. And how yeah. he's going to be remembered. I mean, I wish he was doing more because he's not active. Clapton's not active. Yeah. Um, I know Clapton played some shows recently, like a handful in the last, like, you know, few years. Yeah. Well, I can't remember if that was before the pandemic or after that he played, uh, that he played, but I knew somebody that went and saw him. Yeah. Um, well, Clapton got ultra political on the, the COVID stuff and the yeah. vaccine and yeah, but, uh, Gilmore also auctioned off a ton of his guitars. I saw that. Yeah, that happened like a couple of years ago. Sold the Black Strat. Saw that. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Um. That was an interesting little intro, and now we got some uh, world Nick, percussion. Nick Mason. Which actually, this is Nick Mason's favorite Pink Floyd album. I don't know if you knew that or not. I think in a recent interview he said that. Interesting. That's probably why he named his group that. Yeah, a saucer full of secrets. Nick Mason's a saucer full of secrets. I do need to check and see how close he's coming because it's just like Richard Wright, man. It's not like that. I know they played that um, benefit show. Yeah, all together like that once, yeah. and they got four songs. Yeah, they did live eight. Live eight. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah live eight. Um, I was like, it's not Farm Aid. Yeah, you know, it's it's Live Eight. That's a that's another Bob Geldof production. Like, he's involved with the Wall. So yeah, I can't believe that uh, they did that. And then Richard Rats uh, no longer. Yeah, moving. he passed away. I think maybe three years after that. After they, I think it was in two thousand five. Right, because that would have been twenty years since the original Live Aid. Right. Yeah. What do you think that you think there are any any chances that David and Roger ever do anything substantial on stage together? Because, you know, they've actually played a couple of, like, um, yeah. small little, yeah, like, yeah. Acoust- there's a, a video of them out there on YouTube, like, sitting and uh, doing an acoustic, like, Wish You Were Here or oh, something. Oh, man, like, like, there's part of me that wants to believe, you know, but, no, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I really, also I really don't. Believe. You know, you yeah, you want to believe, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think they've reached that point where it's just... They don't care about us. But it's weird because, I mean, they were battling each other in court in the 1980s over the name Pink Floyd. and I, I saw online, uh, and I don't know how reputable the source was, though, that Roger is the richest member of Pink Floyd. Yeah. Like a $310 million. Probably because he's been actually touring. Yeah. when And David hasn't. Yeah. I wonder if David just stopped touring so Roger could just make some money. It's like, all right, man. Well, I don't even know what Roger actually spends his money on. What I mean is, like, David Gilmore has, like, a houseboat that he has, like, a studio in. and Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's like it was built, like, in 1910 or something like that. But Have you seen that BBC documentary about him where it kind of goes into some of his, like, at-home recording processes? Yeah. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and- hey, like, Combs comes back through it and is like yeah. oh this and this go together how yeah. about that and, and p- kind of fits songs together in that way and then gives them to his wife who is his like 
principal lyricist. Right, right, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, and I think Nick Mason spends most of his money on, like, cars. Like, he collects cars. Like, muscle I think, cars? I, I think just... All kinds. Yeah, I think he was on an episode of Top Gear, if I remember correctly. Uh, dude, I, you know, it's interesting. Some people like cars. Yeah. I'm not one of those. <laughs> but... Um, but I mean they're cool, but I don't want one. Yeah. Like I mean I drive a Subaru, you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's great in the snow. Yeah. All conditions really. All wheel drive. But I, I don't I don't think Pink Floyd's gonna get back together. I, I, I think the the straw that really broke the camel's back was uh apparently Roger got really upset that David told some story about the change sounds from money. And didn't attribute it to Roger. Roger made that at home in his yeah, greenhouse. Right. Okay, and but I, I think I think Gilmore told some opposite story, or not that he came up with it, but somebody else did, and that that really that was that was it. That was the final straw, man. You know, the change sounds from money. <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard Roger say that, like that he recorded them and like uh, like the whole process of that yeah. came like very detailed, and that makes a lot of sense now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, it, I don't know, man, see, it seems petty to me. It, it seems does. a little petty. Like, okay. It's like, okay, you got it wrong. Okay. Whatever. You know, but David's always doing stuff like that. Yeah. Right. I think that's more what, what, yeah. They're like our uncles still. We're on first name basis with Roger. Well, yeah, David, absolutely. You know, as we discussed, man, um, R Richard Wright though such a like really a vision like he is to me that and i mean gilmore's playing also but like really what makes him a psychedelic rock band is they evolve forward is things that he is doing yeah especially at this period right like you've got the hammond organ here yeah it's very yeah, it's very psychedelic he also plays a mellotron on this interesting do you know what a mellotron is uh is it make like almost like medieval instrument sounds or uh, like uh, kind of organy or well it makes like or well it it's it's in a way it's pretty much an analog sampler in a way to I think guess, about okay, it okay right where it uses magnetic tapes of mm -hmm. like recorded sounds which would be like of a string section or of a flute think of like the beginning of strawberry fields forever by the beatles yeah which is a very real possibility that the mellotron used on this recording may have actually been that same one because this was recorded at abbey road studios but um yeah it's 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 really fascinating instrument and it was very prevalent in sort of like late 60s psychedelic progressive music mm -hmm. i'm trying to think there's an instrument um i heard about recently but it's more of like a organ type but it's um it's not. Uh, I'm. I'm wanting to say harpsichord, but that is mm. not what it is. Um, clavichord. See, so hear the strings in the background on this. Mm-hmm. That's a mellotron. That is not a string section. That is being produced by a keyboard. Interesting. Now I don't know about the choir sounds because they did have choir sample recording that you could load into it but they were very hard to maintain like the maintenance mm. on them is incredibly rough I think this is supposed to be like a space battle or something look at Roger's teeth <laughs> how do you know they're Roger's it kind of looks like Roger <laughs> his long young face some, some lady in one of the documentaries is like yeah, he really did not look good back then. Oh, no. But when he got older, he kind of grew into his face. Yeah. Like, she was, like, talking about, like, uh, how, like, he did, uh, as a younger man, have, like, a long sort of feature to his face. Yes. See, I mean, like, like, this is all right, but I don't really remember much about it when it's done. Yeah. Man, I wonder, um, I wonder what it was that made David Gilmore so great. 
I mean, you know, like Tom Morello, like I, I watched that master class with him like two or three times, and um, he he goes into the things he did. Like yeah. he's like, well, I practiced this much, and these are the modes, and these are the exercises, and I like, and like he really goes into great detail on it. So you kind of get a, a, a bigger glimpse. But it's just like I've never really heard any commentary other than like that, you know, on that documentary, which is interesting. But like, I mean, he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest of all time Mm -hmm. and is one of the greatest living right now. But what is it that makes that dude so special? Magic, Brian. That's what it is. It has to be. The nine muses. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, he is. He's uh, he's iconic. He's mm-hmm. he is something special, and um, you just wonder what what it is that makes people like that. Yeah. Um, I remember reading that the solo to "Comfortably Numb" was like pieced together from like several different takes. Interesting. And I remember that kind of like that 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 really messed with my head to hear that because I wanted to believe that that was all like one single take and and I felt a little betrayed but then I thought you know what he came up with all that so actually it was Mitch Mustaine <laughs> okay and they were playing his solos on the album mm. that's like Metallica yeah right I saw Mitch Mustaine right. recently on a podcast and he was like oh yeah on the first album mm. the second album and even on the third album yeah He's like bitter, but he's like sixty years old. He's still bitter. Yeah, but. that's pretty incredible. Yeah, there's. Um, I'm trying to think. There's another band that had um, those kind of accusations recently. I was reading about that, like well, there was a departure and Melatron again. This is Seesaw. It's a Richard Wright song. Pleasant, mm-hmm. you know. That's another thing that's interesting about, um, well, like with Widespread Panic, that there's a handful of songs their bass player sings. There's a mm-hmm. handful, of, there's a, several songs their piano and keyboard player sings. And um, when their guitar player was alive, there's a whole bunch of songs he sang that now they just kind of all sing them. Yeah. Um, and even their drummer, when he was alive, there was three or four songs that he had written that he would sing with them, and they still play those. Right. Um so it's it, it's interesting how different people in the band will contribute. There's some bands where they'll contribute the lyrics, but there's nothing else other than like I'm you know I'm writing the song with you. We're a band, but they're not singing it. But I like it when you get multiple members of the band contributing in multiple yeah. ways. Yeah, which uh, this was a situation like that. Like I said. Barrett doesn't even appear on all the songs on here. It was only the initial group of songs that they recorded, and then he left, or they didn't pick him up for their live show. That's kind of a sad story. I know. Yeah. But just think how it changed the course of rock music history in a way, right? I mean, it did. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it, that it, that whole early history of Floyd is very interesting. How yeah. Gilmore got involved yeah. and what it was like playing those gigs with Sid Barrett um, when he was like zoned out, mm-hmm. drugged out. Yeah, whatever. like Gilmore was yeah brought in to kind of maintain order whenever Sid went off on his weird acid trips on stage or whatever. Oof. <laughs> See if you if you have underlying uh, things about you that would with genetic predispositions or whatever for mm-hmm. things like schizophrenia, uh, you should not do drugs. Like yeah, that. and and that's probably the case with him. Like psychedelics, right. they um, I've read uh, numerous studies that indicate they can ex- exasperate uh, those those types of episodes. Yeah. Breaks. This is the last song, Jug Band Blues. Jug Band Blues. That's Sid. This is a great song. I love this song. Mm-hmm. 
This was on uh, Echoes, The Best of Pink Floyd, the two CD set, which I think I mentioned the last album, uh, Animals, when we listened to Animals together. Sel uh, there's a Salvation Army band on this song. For whatever reason, uh, I think it's because I ordered two vinyls together. Mm-hmm. That they, uh, I'm getting everything on Friday. I cool. packaged a bunch of my shipments together. Yeah, that that's been happening more with Amazon. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, on like, uh, it it happened recently. This has not happened that I noticed. But like, I ordered something, then a couple of days later, Core ordered something, mm -hmm. but they hadn't shipped like my first order, so they packaged it all together. Wow. And I was like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. But whatever. Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> Have you heard that song? Oh yeah, man. That's so great. But yeah, Bo Burnham. Yeah, it's hilarious. Cora uh, gets off on on that, and now she's been singing it, but with like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh my god, Jeffrey Dahmer. Everybody's crazy about that. Man, what a weird thing to be crazy about, right? Yeah, serial killers. <clears throat> you know the one that freaks me out arguably the most uh richard ramirez oh the night stalker yeah and then also um the uh the zodiac killer too mm -hmm. but we could do a whole podcast on the zodiac killer yeah potential like all the potential maybes of like oh my dad died and he was a zodiac yeah killer. that gets old real quick there's like a, there's a few few claimants and yeah uh one or two of them um make a little bit of sense with like a lot, you know, a lot of circumstantial evidence, and but uh, yeah, it, you know, may, may you never know. Well, if 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 you ever develop an interest in reading about the Zodiac Killer, and I recommend this book to anybody who mentions it, because everybody has this idea that Zodiac was this mastermind, right? Read a book called "This Is the Zodiac Speaking," and it will completely deflate that whole myth. I wonder if it's on Audible. I don't know. It's it's an older book, and I say older; it's like twenty years old now. You know, it's weird. I think about 2001, 2002, and I'm like, well, oh, that wasn't that long ago. Yes, it was. It was a very long time ago. Oh, it was, dude. Um, you know, like, um, I've been joking, uh, but there's just, like, always reminders of your age around you. Yeah. Uh, so, like, did you uh, go to, did you graduate with, like, Joe Basham? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, so bro, he's got a teenager. <laughs> Two of them, like one's about to be a teenager. Oh man, that's so weird. I yeah. know, dude. So Joe and Lady, like all their kids, they have four kids, and they all train here, and like uh, their sons in teen class and stuff. And uh -huh. I'm just like, oh, uh, yeah, went to high school with your parents. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. That's definitely weird. It's like that emoji with the the straight across yeah. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, that's the end of Pink Floyd's 1968 sophomore record, A Saucer Full of Secrets. So, Brian, what did you think of this record? Uh, I like uh, a lot of the instrumental components of it, mm -hmm. like what I was saying, like almost like a, they are classified psychedelic rock, but almost also had this jam band component mm -hmm. yeah. before jam bands are really a thing. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but also at this era... And they played with a few times, and I've seen some of the performance with Zappa, right, Frank Zappa, right, which he was doing some of that psychedelic, like, um, right. and, and then, like, you know, like, long instrumental yeah. jams. And, um, but I bring that up to kind of, like, uh, what we were talking about with uh, when we were doing the original of the Animals album. Like, so, like, when I was saying I see the evolution of the band, like, you see that, it's like, um, like, that's a component of what they do, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it, whether you look at, like, any band with a long history like that, like the Grateful Dead or the Almond Brothers Band or um, this bands that have had that history since, you know, the 60s or, or the 70s, right. uh, I think that's something that you, there's always, like, components and flavors in there that they evolve with the band they don't stay the same it's like a part of their history and i i think that like the longer longer songs and like the the ambient instrumental jams it's like you see that as being prevalent through a lot of the different mm -hmm. uh, albums after yeah. this we talked about yeah i think that's a that's actually a pretty good I, I i feel like you're kind of countering because i know i know people like these records like especially the next maybe three i'd say three or four albums that 
with this and after like sausage full of secrets soundtrack to more uh adam hart mothers one of them umagama's one of them uh but that you know yeah that that they they were formless aimless you know like they didn't know where they were going but in a way it almost sounds as if you're possibly arguing and it may be correct that that was always intentional that, I mean, that that they they were intent like that they were trying to go for this more uh, free form when they they don't want to be the Beatles yeah like, I mean at different times yeah. they were sharing the same recording right. studio right I mean it doesn't necessarily make it good but it does provide an explanation for maybe why they were trying certain things it wasn't necessarily because they were uh, yeah, they were lost and didn't know what to do. It's like, hey, we're trying new things. We're in a very open-minded band. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is It is interesting the, what critics have to say about this sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of it for me, I uh, with like this, this type of music particularly, I have like the historical appreciation, right? Right. Um, it is like that. Why, like, and how, like, we're sitting down talking to this. Like, uh, for me, Pink Floyd is a timeless band. Yeah, a timeless band that I did not Fair start enough. listening to until I was an adult. You know, and like, dude, I, I mentioned that on the last podcast, but like, a, a a big part of that is being like, uh, my family was super like strict religious yeah. upbringing, yeah. like. You know, um, and as I mentioned, no record player in the house. And but I would like download a lot of music, but then it was just like the main, mm-hmm. the main, you know, yeah. songs really. But it just took me a long time to get into them. So like, I don't know. I just they're one of those bands that I like so much of their stuff that you, I just have an appreciation for the whole catalog. For mm-hmm. you know, and like just things I've talked about on this episode with like the live performances and the DVDs and the documentaries, and I like because like I, well, like we're both historians, you know. Yeah, like, like right. that's the stuff. Like that's that that I'm into the history of the band, right? You know, and you can't. I I don't think, and it's really no particular era. Yeah. It's the catalog. Yeah. It's it's uh, the the things even that David Gilmore did solo and that Roger did and that, mm-hmm. that Nick Mason's doing now, um, it, whether it's a throwback or not. Um, right. But uh, yeah, you know, that's my take. I I also think that, uh, and this is going back to like the yeah the aimless Floyd or whatever. I I, I think we also have the problem of retrospectively looking back. And that we are basing this, like, our appreciation of this record, we are basing off of the latter records, right, which are very structured. They're they're very conceptual. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're very deliberate, right? I mean, there, there is jam, kind of like some jam components and stuff to it, but they're, they're very solid, while this is very nebulous. That's a great uh, adjective. Yeah, like that that I think is possibly why we have the tendency to look back on this. This is not one of my favorite Pink Floyd albums. There are some good songs on it that I enjoy. I just don't feel and and this is like yeah, looking beyond the um yeah, if we want to talk about um uh yeah, them them not having a purpose or place. I just don't think the songwriting's as strong as what you would eventually get. Mm-hmm. Well, here's one I mean, thing. It's pleasant, but it's not. It's not like. It's not like they're writing the greatest songs of all time. I guess. When did the When did the Beatles peak? Like sixty six. Uh, it depends, oh, it's man. Really. It depends on on on. Sixty three. It. Well, sixty three. That's when they came. That's to America. Yeah, that's when they came over here. Right. Yeah. Sixty four. Right. It was when when they when they came over here to America uh, and they played. Ed Sullivan, but I mean, if if you want to argue where the Beatles peak artistically or creatively, yeah, you'd have some people say Revolver, nineteen sixty six. You'd have people say, well, Peppers, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, that was the next year. Mm-hmm. White Album, sixty eight, same year this comes out. Okay, so that's interesting. Or are, are are then you get other folks who are like, eh, like, like the peak was like right at the end with like Abbey Road, like that was as far as they could go and that's why everything just disintegrated like the band just fell apart at that point but uh, I don't know well that. here's something I think is worth considering um, 
yes, there's all this music from this time and there's an industry, but it's a newer industry at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And um, on the, the comments on like the leaderlessness uh, and things like that, it's like uh, finding their way. It's like, uh, I don't even have uh, that stuff figured out. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, to evolve uh, truly, you have to like uh, search search things out and fail and try stuff that's weird and mm -hmm. unorthodox right. or unproven. And sometimes it sticks and really works, and sometimes it's terrible. And yeah. um, it, but that's the, the you know sort of the artistic risk. But I think that at this time, it's like who really knew the path forward. Yeah. You know, you couldn't look back. Like, who are you going to look back at? Uh, well, okay, well, there's these groups from the, you know, mid-50s that, you know, they were getting recording contracts and putting things on the radio. and But, I mean, you're talking, you know, not even two decades of, like, real definitive history of an industry for them to, you know, explore. And then you do have a lot of change in culture going on in yeah. the 60s. Right. Which is another interesting component of this. Right. Um, but, you know, and, and I think you put those things together and you get some real interesting experimentation going on. Right. Experimentation. Yeah, right. I mean, because they are experimental. Yeah, absolutely. Like, kind of, a lot of this is that what maybe say experimental rock. Right. Or psychedelic, yeah. yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's a perfect description for this, I would say. Yeah, it's experimental. Yeah. I just like that dog from the video, dude. Uh, we were in when we were in Memphis. There was somebody, uh, and I don't remember what the Lassie dog is called. Um, maybe it's a collie mm -hmm. of some kind. But there was this guy was walking five of those, man, and they were like so pretty, long noses, snoots. Yeah, judging by what I've heard, what I heard from this particular recording, the mono recording, uh, sounded pretty good. Really? Yeah, I mean, it did. Like, um, uh, there, there are. Uh, I thought Corporal Clegg sounded really good on this. Uh, Seesaw sounded really good on this. Uh, I think it actually helps. Uh, sometimes the stereo mix sounds busy or muddy to me. Like everything is just competing with each other. This, for some reason, even though it's one channel, seemed pretty crisp, pretty clear. That is interesting uh, because I'll say I noticed that too. Um, because the settings were the same on the fader and everything yeah. from our last episode. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, like, I don't know, it was that last, it was mixing less with our voices, basically. It was, yeah. just kinda, it was more um, faint. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but, you know, that's something I've noticed that's interesting. Like, what, I think what I've got going now with this setup is actually really good. Um, because... Uh, it's not overwhelming. We can talk because uh, it, it's real easy, I think, to get the music too loud to where it's hard to have a conversation and then also listen to the music. It's real easy to get it too faint. Right. So I just noticed this on the back. It says uh, uh, file under popular pop groups. Interesting. Let me see. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Cool record. We'll. Um, so mono, yeah, yeah, mono is yeah, pretty well, good. We'll get like, the, uh, I, I we'll think get I the other one of mono it. too. I prefer it to stereo. I would like to hear. I like Piper at the Gates of Dawn quite a lot. Like I think when we listened to it the last time we had Jeremy here, and I I think it was like like you two were like more lukewarm to it, and I was more like yeah I dig this, this I like great. this yeah you know I was like yeah this is a definite this is at least like an eight out of out of ten. I was like. And they, I think you guys were kind of like, eh, it's all right, but I don't know. know, man. I've really like, I will say, it, I don't know, like your, it's like your taste evolves with it over time. Yeah, because honestly, um, I think that's another thing that prevents people, and I, why I like doing this, kind of like we're doing it, prevents people from getting into a band like Pink Floyd. It's like, where do you even start? Right. That's like they have a vast catalog. You know, yeah. so you start at the beginning. Well, that doesn't sound like the Pink Floyd I heard on the radio. You know, right. so it's just like, yeah. where do you hop in? And it seems overwhelming if you look at all the discography. So, um, yeah, no, nothing nothing on this sounds anything like another brick in the wall part two, right? Correct. 
Big time correct. <laughs> yeah. So it I, it would be interesting to even create like a series like a beginner's guide, right? Just like a short Floyd. like five minute video. We'll call like, it Working Man's Floyd. Work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Always heard him referred to that. Like, like I've heard that the Working Man's Prog Band. I've heard know? that saying with Panic before too. Working Man's Panic. Yeah. It's funny. But oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like. Like yeah, where 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 do you begin? Where do you start? Because uh, this would not be where I would start. Yeah, it, well, not 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 dissonant. Just saying, this would not be the point that if I wanted to get somebody into this band, I wouldn't be like, well, you need to listen to a saucer full of secrets, man. You know, I wouldn't. It, and it's gonna be that sort of middle catalog, are, you know. Or or this this is like the this is the hipster album, right, man? Like like the like. Walls overrated, dude. I'm into like, the deep like, cuts. Like this is where it's at. Like I was listening to this like back in high school. Bro, you yeah. ever get down on Saucerful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly like like yeah. This is definitely a deep cut album. That's what this is. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's really like their middle catalog years, mm-hmm. honestly. Because like even the the harder core Floyd fans don't like the later stuff after Roger leaves, mm-hmm. and then the yeah. earlier. And, and, and man, honestly, the fan base is from my uh, what I've been able to glean is is really all over the place. Yeah, it is for real, and it's evolving. It's always evolving. Like I'll say that yeah, those post Roger Waters albums, the 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 Pink Gilmore period of the band, I guess is what I've heard it referred to as. Man, I used to hate on those records. But you know what? I've gone back and listened to them, and there's a couple good songs on there. I mean, some of it is garbage, but, you know. What do you do? Yeah, right, for real. Dogs of War. You know, too, like maybe 20 years from now, we're going to be like, we get it. Yeah, man, this is the best we Floyd album there it. is, man. Like, like, like uh, yeah. You know, too, well, things like um, context changes. Yeah. I think... Um, you know, I mean, imagine what it's going to be like when David Gilmore passes away and Roger passes away and there's no living members of Pink Floyd. The context for in the hearts and minds of a lot of people <laughs> will change. You know, that's how that's how it happens. Like yeah. if they're if they're this appreciated in their own time, what's it going to be like? You know, like that. Oh, man, David's no longer here. Like those later Pink Floyd albums. Whoa. That's yeah. where it was at, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. because like I think there will be um, it, the it, the nostalgia level, yeah, will will heighten, you know, even from from that era. Just like honestly, uh, post Barrett dying, uh, I would argue that you see that, yeah, um, with uh, within you know the earlier stuff, it's gonna you know a bunch of you know more hardcore fans of like the middle years may have been looking back more after that. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, for real, man. But hey, yeah, this this is a decent record. Like I said, it's not my favorite, but yeah, you know, it's it's pretty. It sounded good, mono. That's what matters. Is that mono works for some albums? I guess. Well, I'm gonna have know. to get the other one on vinyl. So we'll at a future date. Um, we'll do this animals. Dude, on. I, yeah, I'm pumped about the remix animals. Me that's too. That's gonna be that's gonna be great because I mean it's gonna lead into uh other discussions about remixing albums in general. I mean, like, like, is it like, like when we get, we're, we're getting into like an ethics discussion, right? Basically. Yes. Like, like, is it rewriting history? Is it revising the plot? Is it, uh, like, like, is it okay? Yeah. To, I, I don't know. I always go back feel, and do that. I feel kind of weird for whatever reason. I have no basis for this, but like if I'm on Spotify, for example, and I'm like, you know, pull up a band I want to listen to and, you know, I go to their albums, and it's like remastered in 2018 or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, where's the original? <laughs> but, but but it's honestly like what like with this, it's like, uh, like the whole and it did. It, it's like it's because the people would call us audiophiles for that reason. Yeah, like, like that's just a weird stuff that. And too, the the historian in me too. Like I'm interested in like, oh, there were multiple to this mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure right. be interested in listening to all of those and seeing what the differences are and it, but I, I like that and um, but I do it is it is kind of weird because it is like what we're talking about um, with the whole you know vinyl cassette uh, eight track and CDs yeah. it's like uh, it's getting further and further away from the original means in which it was recorded on this more classic period 
you know, right. where, um, you know, the technology and the modes they use to record. And, and we're really losing out on, you know, I got a, a, a nice turntable in here, but like we're, and people are doing vinyls again, but it's almost like we're losing out on the ability uh, to listen in those original ways. Yeah. 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 Uh, we we should just take this ultra hipster and just listen to reel to reel. That's what we should do. Take it back to like quarter quarter inch, half inch master tapes. Like that's totally. that's what that's the only way you can listen to this. I'm down. Yeah, I need to get one for the studio. <laughs> don't t- don't tempt me with a good time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but now that is, I mean, you know, one thing I I'm not I'm not going to go overboard with it, but. I mean, I kind of already have in, in here, but not with a bunch of vintage stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though I bought a couple of vintage amps from you, but um, well, I thought only one of them is vintage. I mean, I would say, is that over there? Would you quantify that as vintage? No, that's relatively it's, new. It's relatively yeah, new. No, the, it looks I mean, like the old one yeah, from the, 65. The, the, the jazz chorus though is like, that's a genuine vintage amp. So, dude, so when I saw um, this guy set in with widespread panic, this blues blues guy, Bobby Rush was his name. Okay. And he was playing uh, harmonica. And he was like, wow. And then Jimmy Herring would, like, play the same notes on the guitar. It was really cool. But then he tried to, like, do that with the front man, John Bell. And John Bell was like, nope. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I can't do that. Because, like, he just kept doing it with Jimmy Herring, and he was just like, but he's like, you guys, yeah. he's just doing the same thing as me. You guys seeing this? And um, then he's like, let's go over here with this guy. And then it was like, you're putting the man on the spot right now. <laughs> you get away from that man. <laughs> so it was just, but, yeah, it was it was funny. But this dude's like 88, and there's a picture of him vertically. Like, his knees are, like, this high. <clears throat> it's crazy. Wow. The music will do it to you. you know? Yeah, for real. Having a good time. Uh, well, right on, man. We'll yeah. uh, let's wrap it up, and we'll. Um, okay, so next time we'll be animals, animals remix, remix, as well as trying to piece together a Beatles listen. Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, and we'll start at the beginning on that one. Yeah. Well, we got, uh, well, that, I'm I'm saying that we we should bring it. We should build. We should make our own version of the Fab Four. Is what we should really do. Yeah. So like me, you, Josh, and Julie, I think would be pretty good. I I don't know who's what role in you know. I'm trying to think if Julie who's 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 John, who's Paul, who's who's George, who's you're Ringo, dude. I'm Ringo. Look at your hair. (laughs) So I I mean, you could be be a John if you had the glasses. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I should do. I feel like Josh is going to be John though. Some t shade, t shade glasses. That's that'd be be great i remember texting josh uh a while back and being like um dude i really want to like john lennon but when i read about him he seems yeah. like a real piece of shit yeah and he was like i know i struggle with it yeah yeah, yeah for real uh but it it, it is it, it it you when i read about him i mean it's beyond the norms of just like oh hippie movement um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah he had some problems yeah he did um anyway but yeah that um I mean, Julie's got to be Paul, right? <laughs> no, oh, she'd probably hate that. I think Paul's probably like her least her favorite, favorite member of the band. Okay. See, I I, I actually like Paul. I, I I I understand his genius. Let's let's just say that. Uh, I I've never got to see him in concert, and I wish that that was, yeah uh, not the case. Like he's probably like the most talented musically. Really, like watching that um, Get Back documentary. Yeah. Like you really get a glimpse in. Like that's that's uh, in. That's not like what I was talking about about seeing like uh, yeah, Gilmore's process. Yeah. But I love getting glimpses. Like there's been no like all of the documentaries I've seen on Floyd don't equal that amount of footage. Is that Get Back documentary? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, I've seen uh, probably half a dozen Floyd documentaries, but they're all like an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Yeah, we'll definitely have to put together some uh, some on that and uh, just keep working our way through the Floyd catalog as well. Excellent. I like how we started talking about the Beatles. Because the Beatles were recording at Abbey Road like the same, same time. time. Same time Pink Floyd was. Yeah. yeah. Weird. <laughs> Moments frozen in time. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, these, these are records of that, so whatever. All right, well, sign off. We'll uh, yep. 
talk to y'all soon. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you.